Okay. Got to do my own clicker today. <laughs> See how that goes. Right, uh, okay, so we've been looking at work, haven't we? This is our series, uh, this is week three, so we did introduction, lots of big questions, not many answers. Last week we looked at integrity, uh, this week we're moving on to um, kind of something completely different. Uh, we're going to consider power, okay? Um, how do we view our positions of power? Now, some people might be thinking, but, you know, Lou, I'm not really the boss of anyone, actually. Uh, but the truth is, we all have some power over some people. You know, whether it's the way that we act towards them, or um, maybe in our family, we have a power and influence over them, or our younger siblings or children. Uh, we have some kind of authority um, and we need to be using that really well and in a godly way. Um, so we're going to be thinking about that, what it's like, um, and with Joseph, mainly in the context of being the boss, but we'll, uh, we'll expand it a bit as well. Okay. Now, I'm sure, um, as we're sat here, we can all think of the, the worst boss uh, we have ever had. It might be the one that you've got. <laughs> um, and, you know, when you are working under a difficult boss, your life is, well, just not that great, is it? Um, you can have the lazy boss, the manipulative boss, uh, the one who's kind of buddy-buddy to everyone, but then is behind your back, is not a nice character. Or the boss that just kind of wants to intimidate and bully and kind of rages around the office. Um, like a kind of bull in a china shop, so that everyone's frightened of them. Um, and equally, I'm sure you can think of the best boss we've ever had. You know, what was it about that really good boss? You know, why did you like them? You know, what, how did they uh, treat you? How were they with people that made them um, a really good for, boss um, to work for? Um, so, this week, we are in Joseph. Now, you'll remember last week, uh, we looked at integrity, about how Joseph was working as a slave in a house, and he rose, and he was promoted because he worked so well, uh, but then he gets into this compromising situation where the wife of his boss wants to sleep with him, he refuses, and it all kind of backfires, she makes this allegation, and he ends up in prison. But in it all, he still continues to do the right thing. He's still really aware of, um, of kind of who is his real boss, I guess. But this week, we see that he, at the tender age of 30, which uh, some of us look back on and some of us look forward to, is thrust into kind of more power than you can shake a stick at. As we heard earlier, he is now, I guess, like the prime minister or something like that, governor, over the whole of Egypt. He's now got pretty much unlimited power. Now, a 30-year-old given unlimited power, let's just kind of, I just think of myself, probably wouldn't be a good thing. <laughs> okay, and also amazing responsibility bearing down on your shoulders. Um, we're going to pick up the story in Genesis chapter 41. So if you want to get uh, your Bibles, now that was page 46, Robin informed me, so you can find that. 
Um, and we're not going to read it all because there's just masses, obviously. And you need to do this at home. You need to just get stuck into it because it's a great story. But we'll read a little bit. Um, and we're going to pick it up after Pharaoh has had this dream about the fat cows and the thin cows. Um, and he's kind of very puzzled, didn't know what to do. And then Joseph has said, uh, okay, uh, I can't interpret this, but God can. Uh, this is what it means. It means that you're going to have seven good years of harvest, followed by seven years of famine. Okay, so we're going to read from verse 33, chapter 41. Joseph is speaking to Pharaoh. Okay. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the lands of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the city for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials, so Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom the Spirit of God... Sorry, one in whom is the Spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there's no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole lands of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in, royal, uh, of, royal, in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and men shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole lands of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. Without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Mm, Zaphanath of Pane, and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potiphera, prince of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the lands of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Okay, so here we have Joseph. Not two minutes ago, he is a completely forgotten prisoner. Uh, No chance of escape from the dungeons, shackled, despairing, and yet still hoping to see what God will do. And he's thrust pretty much overnight from the bottom of the pile to the top. Imagine that. It will be uh, like, I don't know, imagine someone here in prison and then overnight suddenly they're prime minister. I mean, that just seems impossible. So he has got fame. Everyone knows who he is. Remember, as they go through the streets, they're shouting, make way. He's very important. He looks the part. He's now wearing the latest Egyptian designer clothes. Uh, He's got the right connections. He's got this A-list celebrity wife on his arm. And he's got that almost unlimited power. 
And I don't know if you read trashy magazines, but um, we can look at the people in the media who sort of get fame overnight, don't we? And they don't cope very well with it. Or people that say, oh, I won millions on the lottery, but like a couple of years later, they actually haven't got anything left. They just went mad uh, because they couldn't quite cope with it. Or, um, or bands that kind of, you know, they were playing in clubs for years and years. Finally, they make it, and then they just totally go off the rails because once they've got the fame, they don't really know what to do with it. So what we want to think about is how on earth does Joseph stay grounded in this situation where so many people would totally lose it? How does he stay grounded? So we're going to be thinking about a healthy view of God and a healthy view of self. That's really important because Joseph has that right from the beginning right to the end. A healthy view of God and a healthy view of self. Now, what do we mean? Well, it's, we can kind of summarise it a bit like this. Okay, there you go. Uh, as we're on the way down, we need to know that God still reigns. So when our life is not going quite as we planned in our seven-year plan to success, we need to know that God still reigns. So when Joseph was in prison, he still was really aware of who was in control of his life. He's got us in his hand. We are secure and he is sovereign. Okay, and God remains the same. And on the way up, we need, of course, life's going really well. We're now, you know, success. We've got promotion. Uh, we've got everything that we wanted in our seven-year plans. We need to have a healthy view of self. Okay, and what I mean by that is that sometimes when things are going well, we feel very blessed by God. We feel like there's a tendency to think, oh, isn't this great? God really loves me. Everything is going well. And we lean towards, I kind of deserve this because, you know, I've been really good recently and God really likes me. Um, but what does that do? Well, it's saying that I'm better than my colleagues. It's saying that I'm more loved today by God than I was yesterday. Um, but remember, God remains the same. So it's not about our circumstances, about where God is. We need to have a healthy view of God when we're on our way down, that we know that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And on the way down, we have a healthy view of self, that if we look back at the cross, we're undeserving. Um, we, we're not more loved today than we were yesterday. We're not more important than we were yesterday. We're not cleverer than we were yesterday. Actually, we need to keep those in perspective. God is here, and we are very much here. And it's really easy, I think, in the ups and downs of life that uh, it begins to influence our view of ourselves and our view of God, who he is and who we are, depending on what's happening. And Joseph demonstrates a real clear understanding of his place um, and God's place in the words that he uses. So we're going to look at some of the words he says to show what he thinks, healthy view of God, healthy view of self. And the first example is found um, in when he's tempted by Potiphar's wife. Okay, I've popped it up so you can look it up if you want to, if you don't need to. 
He says, no one is greater in this house than I am. So he knows where he is. He's not deluded. He knows he's onto a good thing. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? You see, God, um, Joseph here is not confused about where he is. He's not downplaying his position and saying, I'm not worthy. Uh, but he's, he's grounded, really, in, a, in a clarity of his true position um, and the real power of God. The second evidence we can find is uh, when he interprets Joseph's dreams. He says, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. You see, Joseph takes full responsibility for the bits that he can do. Um, It would have been really easy for him to take the whole credit. I mean, God's gifted him with this ability to interpret dreams. Now, he could just quite happily just interpret them, couldn't he? But he's really clear that he wants to point to God and say, actually, the real worker here is God. If you think about how you've been gifted, God's gifted you to do that, and you're really good at it. It's really easy, isn't it, to just take the credit and not look back at who really gave it. Both cases, though... Joseph's not showing false humility. He's not the person that says, oh, actually, I'm really not very good at the piano, and actually, he's a masterpiece at it. He says, yeah, I can do that for you, but, you know, God's the one that gave me the gift. And um, this is a good quote, I think. It says, humility finds its place in giving all the credit to God, whereas pride finds its place in giving all the credit to God to ourselves. I quite like that. It's a good kind of reference, isn't it, of where the credit is going for the things that we do. And we can really, we all know, lose perspective. Uh, We can attribute our success to just being in the right place at the right time. You often hear that, don't you? I know, I found myself saying it. I just happened to be there and they offered me this job. Or I just worked really hard to get there. And we do. We need to work hard, don't we? If we've been given gifts, we need to use them. We've got the parable of the talents and all that, and we know that whatever God's given us, we need to use it. Of course we do. Um, But our success, we need to be thinking about who is the real success giver. Charles Spurgeon... um, Oh, no, I don't have it. I thought I did. (laughs) He wrote this. He said, never praise secondary causes. Um, The God being the source of our abilities, enabling us to get that promotion and to be successful. The primary source, which is God, is always to to receive the full glory, honour and praise. And Joseph's bosses were really aware of where his success came from. That comes through really clearly. So let's have a look. It says, um, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. is that interesting? I, I wonder about our workplaces when people comment, oh, you're just so calm, Louise. I often get that. Oh, you're so laid back, Louise. And uh, I do project that kind of um, thing. But I'll... 
how often do I actually say, actually, I'm calm because, you know, God is actually in control of this situation, and if I lose my job, well, that's okay. <laughs> wow, that would, I think some people would fall over. But it's tricky moments like this, maybe, that we need to think about how we might be misleading people. How can we promote God rather than ourselves? That is a big question, and that was something I want us to do in house groups this week. There is a prayer meeting, um, but um, if you'd like the house group notes, if you want to just do that in your own time or get together or talk about it after, after in coffee... You know, what would that practically look like to promote God rather than yourself? I think it's quite a tough one and almost one that needs rehearsing in a way. What do you say when someone says this? Okay, the third evidence we have is how Joseph viewed himself um, and God. It's um, shown in this outstanding public declaration of how he names his children. Um, when we name our children, people think, oh, that's a name I like, I don't want it in the top ten, that sort of thing. Some people go for a biblical name. Other people say, no, the meaning is the most important thing to me. Well, the meaning was the important thing for Joseph. He says, before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphera, prince of On, member of the celebrity wife. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh, and said, it is because God has made me forget all my troubles and all my father's household. The second son, he named Ephraim and said, it's because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Now, common link here, God has made. God has made. Joseph attributed his success and his suffering to God. In our economic climate... Success and suffering are often quite close together, aren't they? We know that today we might have a really secure job, tomorrow we might be redundant. We can't let the circumstances dictate how we view ourselves or how we view God. It's tempting when we're on the way down to fall into self-pity, depression, we're in low self-esteem, we're raging at God who, by our interpretation, has stopped loving us. And on the way up, in our pride to become puffed up and considering ourselves quite righteous at the moment and in God's favour. These are important things to wrestle with, aren't they? We need to be holding a really clear view of a God who is in control of our circumstances. But like Joseph, we need to underpin it with this belief that God is not only in control, but that he is good. If we leave out the good, then yes, our circumstances begin to dictate how we feel about God. If we have the goodness, we have security, and we are safe. Joseph shows how he views his life in this speech to his brother, which we've looked at before in chapter um, 45. Because um, Joseph, of course, has now got this prestigious job. The famine has come to Egypt. But the famine has not just come to Egypt. The famine has gone outside of Egypt and it's made its way to his brothers. And they're in need. Remember the ones that wanted to kill him? They sold him. 
you know, that led him to a life of slavery, which led him to a foreign land, which led him to the accusations of rape, which led him to being shackled in prison. And so you can imagine in chapter 42, verse 5, when the storyteller is sat round the campfire and the Israelites are gathered and he says, so... Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain for the famine, was in the land of Canaan also. You can just imagine it. Like, what is he going to do? I mean, oh dear. It would have been a good one. (laughs) They'd have gasped in anticipation. You know, the power is on the other foot now, isn't it? It's not 11 big brothers picking on the little brother. No, it's the other way round. And almost certainly we're thinking revenge is coming. I mean, if someone had done that to me. But remember Joseph's healthy view of God, healthy view of himself. What does he say? Okay, very small, but um, you can find it in Genesis 45. I think. I can hardly see it myself. It says, then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. I like that. Who does that remind you of? That reminds me of like the Levit- when we did Leviticus, come close. It's a real invitation, isn't it? Come close to me. When they'd done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. You can imagine now their stomachs have just, well, goodness knows what. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Isn't that it's just amazing, isn't it? He's saying, you know, don't be stressed, don't be frightened. And on the other hand, don't be angry. You know, he senses, you know, if you read that story, there's, there's regret amongst his brothers. They're going, we're being punished because of what we've done. Um, and then he says this, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Look at that. God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you as a remnant on the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says, God has made me, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down and don't display, don't delay. Now, Joseph in his speech, he doesn't blame them, he doesn't punish them, he doesn't rage against them. Can you imagine if that was an episode of EastEnders? I can't even begin to imagine what might happen. Um, He continually um, attributes his success and his difficulties to God. God sent me, God has made me. You You see it in his children, you see it in what he says to people, you see it in what he says to his brothers. But it doesn't stop there. He sees the goodness of God. Joseph looks back at this journey, which is not nice, not at all, from beginning to end. And in the middle of all his troubles, or at the height of his success, you know, he sees God. And we often miss this, don't we? Because, because we're not at the end. We're in the middle, maybe, or we're at the beginning. 
we don't see, and we won't necessarily see until we get to heaven. But we can use Joseph as an example of someone who could look back and see God's hands. That, yeah, decisions were made, people made choices, but God worked in it in his sovereignty. And the same for us, when we're in success, when we're in failure, whatever's happening, we need to look back at the cross. Uh oh. (laughs) Okay. We need to look back at the cross in our success. Our true state without Christ, what would it look like? What would our life look like if we didn't have Christ? And in our, um, in our difficulties, we look forward to heaven. We've got future. We've got hope. We've got something to look forward to that maybe the person next to us doesn't. In Romans 8.28, we all know this one. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. God brings good out of mess. Um, You know, this doesn't present temptation. Joseph had it. It didn't prevent accusations. It didn't prevent unemployment. It doesn't prevent unfair dismissal, financial crisis. But it is a promise of hope that he will bring something good out of it. Um, God is not evil. He doesn't bring about evil. But this is the exciting thing. He can use it. He's so good, in fact, that even evil can be used for good. He can turn it around. And Joseph really echoes that at the conclusion of this story um, when he says to them, his brothers again. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done in the saving of many lives. Now that's the Joseph backdrop, but what about us? We're going to go very fast and we're going to finish in a few minutes. What about us? When we are in positions of power, When we find ourselves in that successful career, we have authority over others. How does the Bible influence what we do? Well, we talked about it the whole time. We need a healthy view of God, healthy view of ourselves. Who is God on the way down? And who are we on the way up? Where are we? Are we better than the people that we're over? Who's the real boss here? It's God. Number two, we need to recognise that God is sovereign over our lives. It's ultimately God, not ourselves, that is shaping our destiny. Number three, we need to remember that true security lies not in the success, but in knowing that God is good and that even if our success goes, God remains good and will work in whatever we find ourselves for good. Number four, ambition is okay if we operate in true humility. That doesn't mean we rubbish our gifts or say, I'm not very good at that, but that we give all the credit to God, the primary source. Number five, we remember that as we are blessed, we are blessing to others. We were talking about that last week. Where are the blessings come from? 
We need to be pointing others to God. And that's that tricky thing, isn't it? Oh, you're just so great around here. It's so good having you. Oh, you've done such a great thing. Oh, you made 25 sales today. What are you going to say? Tricky. Fair and just. Colossians passage says, provide your employees with what is fair and just. As basic standard, as a boss, that's what we need to be doing. Uh, You know, don't try and dismiss them quietly. I've heard bosses say, if you go quietly, I'll give you a reference. Totally unjust dismissal. We need to be fair and just. Uh, We need to make sure employees get leisure, see their families, things like that. Practical things that we can do. Uh, Making people feel that they're, you know, valued in their job. They're not just another person that actually we could just kick out tomorrow. If you don't get it right, well, we'll just get someone else. But that is the minimum, remember, compared with how God treats us. And Joseph acts more than that, doesn't he? He shows the grace. And that's what we need to be showing as employee, employers or as bosses over people. Even if we've just got one person under us, we need to be showing grace. Uh, we need to pray. Ephesians 10, um, 6 verse 10 says, Finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. We need to be going back to that prayer the whole time, remembering that we're in partnership with God, um, that he is the source of the power and the authority and the gifts that we have. Okay. And finally, I wanted to leave us with this. This is what Jesus said. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be the slave of oil. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Remember, Jesus saw the kind of leaders of the church and in every bit of life as Christians sort of upside down compared to the world. And imagine how distinctive our leadership would look in the workplace if we really did that. Amen.